The opinions expressed by the guests and contributors of this podcast are their own and do not necessarily reflect the views of Cornell University or its employees. Welcome to this season's final episode of the Inclusive Excellence Podcast. Today, we are concluding season five with a very special guest, Christine Lovely, who is Cornell's Vice President and Chief Human Resources Officer. We will talk with Christine about her professional journey and her transition to Cornell. We also get her thoughts around what inclusion belonging in the workplace should look like and how we all have an opportunity to create and sustain a positive workplace culture for all employees. My name is Toral Patel. And my name is Erin Chase. And you are listening to the Inclusive Excellence Podcast. Welcome, Christine. We are so happy to have you with us today on our season finale podcast episode. Very excited. Uh, we'd love for you, for our listeners, to just introduce yourself if you want to share what pronouns you use, your role at Cornell, and what that role encompasses. Okay. It's a pleasure to be with you both, and finally I have my opportunity. I've <laughs> heard so many podcasts, but now I'm on here. So thank you all for inviting me to be here today, and I'm Christine Lovely. I use she, her, hers pronouns, and I am Cornell's Vice President and Chief Human Resources Officer, a role that I've been in since August 30th of 2022. So we're coming up on our one-year anniversary. Um it's closer than I could ever imagine, and the time has flown. So in this role, I kind of have responsibility for all of the people impacting programs, um, anything that touches people from when they start and even before they start as candidates at the university up through when they transition or leave from the university. So, and everything in between. The full employee life cycle is part of the responsibilities that are underneath this role. So, definitely a very interesting role that has a lot of different nicks and crannies associated with it. And I love most of it. <laughs> <laughs> that is great to hear. <laughs> As Erin said, Christine, we are so excited um, that we get an opportunity to to chat with you a little bit today, get to know you. Um, and so just keeping that in mind, can you tell us a little bit about your career journey, just even in HR and what's led you here to Cornell? Yeah, I have a little bit of a different um, career path than most people that work in human resources because it wasn't you know, sort of well-defined or planned mm -hmm. all of the way. And if you know me well, then you know that I'm really not that comfortable with that. <laughs> um, I'm the type of person that likes to plan ahead, likes to, you know, stick with a plan and um, go that route. But that's something that I've learned over the course of my career is that sometimes actually the best things can happen when you're not planning for mm -hmm. them. So you know, my entire career started with a desire for me to work in newspapers or mm. to be a reporter or something like that. Mm -hmm. And so as a student, that was what my career aspiration was. But one thing I learned, and I always share this with students, is that you should take the opportunity to really explore careers that you think you want to go into. Make sure you do some type of an internship or learning opportunity so you can find out what people do day to day in right. that career. And I did that, fortunately for me, because that's when I learned that, no, this is not the <laughs> career that you actually want to, oh, wow. want to go into. 
And, you know, so I ended up going in the direction of a legal career. Mm -hmm. Um, So I became an attorney. And what inspired me to go in that direction was an experience that made me realize I didn't know what my legal rights were. I didn't know any attorneys. I didn't know who to ask. And so I determined at that point that I was going to become an attorney so that I could know about my own rights and I could be a resource for other people. So that's what got me into the direction of being an attorney. I thought maybe I'd do something like civil rights, but again, when I was in law school, I had the opportunity to actually explore other careers and um, really loved labor and employment law instead. So that's where my career launched from is labor and employment law. Um, I did that for over 10 years and enjoyed the work, but not the setting. So that later became an important thing for me to, to know as an HR professional, because employees can enjoy the work, but not the setting that they're doing it in. And so as an HR professional, we have to be mindful of that um, as part of our work. So I kind of stumbled into human resources work just quite by accident. Being asked to fulfill an interim role is actually how I got my start in human resources. But through that interim role, I fell in love with human resources work. And the reason for that is because of the impact that you have on the workforce Mm -hmm. from that place. So um, I really fell in love with that. And the reason why I discovered that is because I said yes to something that was not on my plan, Mm -hmm. part of my plan. So that's why I say that, you know, don't be so rigid in your thinking and in your career plans that you miss out on something that actually is your calling. And so I really feel like I'm working in where I'm supposed to be working through that. Well, thank you for that, Christine. That was very interesting to hear about your path. Um, And I think it's encouraging for anybody that wonders whether they can change paths, career paths, you know, Mm -hmm. after they've been working for a while and mid-career, even late in the career. It's nice to hear, well, yeah, of course we can. (laughs) You know, um, we we just follow whatever, you know, wherever the path takes us as opposed to trying to completely forge that path on our own. So it's kind of interesting. So you came here from California. Uh, As you said, you're coming up on your one-year anniversary. So we'd love to hear more about what has your transition been Mm -hmm. like to Cornell, to the East Coast, (laughs) you know, whatever. What's the transition been like? And what's been some of your favorite parts of that transition so far? And I'm sure everybody has probably asked you or said or made this comment to you because I got this comment multiple times. And to this day, when I moved here from Florida, and it was, why would you? ever choose to move <laughs> to New York, upstate New York or central New York? And why would you leave the beautiful weather come to the cold, right? I'm sure you've been asked that too. Yeah, I've been asked that a time or 10,000, but <laughs> yeah, um, you know, it's been, it was for the opportunity. It really was. And not only the opportunity, but also because my entire, you know, I was born and raised in California and my entire career and education was also in California, I really had a desire to explore some other part of the country. So I didn't know much about the area that I was moving to. And in fact, when I came and interviewed here, 
I kind of looked around and said, where am I? (laughs) 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 Being quite honest with you, but when I actually got on campus and I recognized, okay, I recognize the university campus. Right, right. (laughs) (laughs) Certainly Cornell University has a beautiful campus and beautiful surroundings. And, you know, so I took the opportunity to learn more about our area and get out and explore a bit Mm. and discover different waterfalls and all of this. And the funniest thing about that is, so I saw Ithaca Falls, of course, because I follow that path every day to go to work. But what I hadn't seen was Buttermilk Falls, which is right on the edge of town. Yeah. And only because I didn't drive one more block had I never seen (laughs) Buttermilk Falls had gone as far as Home Depot, but never quite. (laughs) Just a little bit further, I would have seen that. But somehow or another, I don't even remember now how I discovered it, but I did. And, you know, went over there and checked it out. But I just felt so fortunate to be surrounded by so much beauty. And early on, I discovered um, Taganic Falls mm. and took the opportunity to drive up there and check that out. It's just, it's it's amazingly beautiful here. And I absolutely love it. And it's different. It's a different type of beauty than what I'm yeah. used to seeing. Um, so even during the winter, when, you know, there's things are covered in ice and snow and all that, that has its own beauty, it too. Um, so I, I thoroughly enjoy the differences, the seasons and all of that, because it's very true that in California, we don't have seasons, not the way we have it here. Um, so I'm enjoying discovering all the differences and exploring and getting out in um Making this my home, you know, I have, you know, I feel that it has become my home. And of course, there were some challenges at first with just always when you take a new job, there's the learning process, the learning curve and um, understanding a new sort of environment and campus culture and all that. And that takes time. And I'm still in the process of learning some of those things. Um but it's been a fun journey so far, and I definitely feel like, you know, the things that attracted me to Cornell, they really connected well with what I can bring. And so this kind of notion of bringing a fresh perspective to the HR function here um, was very interesting to me to do. And I had never done it after having, you know, someone be in the role so long and so successfully carrying out that function. So it's easy for me. Some people think it would be hard in that situation, but it's really easy because I come into it knowing that I'm just going to be myself and just bring my skills and ability and my vision here. I'm not trying to be anyone else or fill anyone's shoes or any of those types of things. So it really makes it easy for me to just bring my true self and all that I have to give to Cornell. And I really feel like it's a good match. So I'm really excited for what the future holds. Yeah. I think there's a couple of things you said that really resonated with me. One, I wholeheartedly agree with the seasons component because there's something about seeing all four seasons um, throughout the year. It's something I want my kids to experience and I'm glad that they get to see that too. Um, So now that you've been here for about a year or so, almost a year, have you had a chance to explore the campus at all? And what's your favorite part? 
I'm still learning about yeah. this campus. Um, from time to time, there'll be a meeting at some building that I didn't wasn't even familiar with. Mm-hmm. Um, sometimes it's right down the street from me. I just discovered Wile um, yeah. last week, and it's you know right up the street from where I sit. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's yeah, I'm just still discovering the campus. But I would say the favorite part of what I've experienced so far is just last week, actually, I had a tour of the vet med teaching Mm -hmm. hospital. Mm -hmm. Um, And, you know, I got a chance to pet an emu. (laughs) 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 Yeah, (laughs) exactly. (laughs) You know, there's the full gamut from, you know, household cats and yeah. dogs, um, you know, to horses and emus. Emus, you know, I yeah. saw a 600 pound <laughs> pig, you know, yeah. and cows and all of that. So, you know, we have all of this right here. So it's, it's really amazing to know. And, you know, what I really try and focus on from my perspective is knowing that we in human resources, we have a role in those people coming to this university, you know, and when you really connect what you do to what you're seeing, you know, that really hopefully inspires people that do this work to keep doing this work. Yeah, I like that a lot. That's a good point that you're out there immersing yourself in the in the campus because it, it does connect to then your ability to work with the employees to understand what they're immersed in every day. And one of the um, things that we have most appreciated about you is that from day one, it, it's been clear whether it's been through something you said in a speech or something you've written, you know, um, it's been pretty clear to us that things like diversity, equity, inclusion, and belonging are, are very important to you and are priorities for you. And as you know, because you've been a great listener and supporter <laughs> of our podcast and out there promoting it, thank you very much, uh, you know that our theme this year has really been to sort of dig a little deeper into what inclusion and belonging really mean and what they really look like and feel like and, and that sort of thing. So I'm just wondering, can you tell us more? I mean, your role is Chief Human Resource Officer. You're not a Chief Diversity Officer, right? Yet these are clearly priorities, and they've come through in, in everything that you've done so far. So can you tell us more about how that has come to be? You know, why do you see these priorities in your, in your role that you do, and what's been your path in that way? Yeah, I would say I certainly have evolved over the years, you know, because at one time, I sort of didn't have that key connection between human resources and diversity work. You know, like I saw that, you know, when it comes to doing our outreach and talent acquisition and all of that, that we needed to be mindful that we weren't setting up an environment that wasn't, you know, welcoming to candidates of all varieties and that we weren't discriminating against people and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. That's always been a thing. But the realization that DEIB really should be part of everything that we do in human resources, that's a more recent situation that I've evolved into. And that comes just from the things that have happened in the workplace and the things that have happened in the world. Mm -hmm. It's just a reality that... All of our employees don't have the same experience 
in this world, in this workplace, in every workplace. And so because of that, we should be mindful from the very, remember I talked about the full gamut of the employee life Mm -hmm. cycle. We need to view all of that through a lens of understanding that all of our employees have different experiences. And because of that, we should be mindful to make sure that people have the ability to navigate through what we are putting out in a way that allows them to be their best selves. And so because of that, and because of things that have happened more recently in the world, it's just a necessity that we in human resources have some competency and ability to navigate in here. And it's just no longer acceptable for people to say, but I don't know what to do, or I don't you know, have that background, or I don't have that training. It's not necessary that everyone's an expert in order to do their work in a way that is mindful that everyone doesn't have the same experience. Yeah, that I, that really resonates with me. And as, as we talk about in human resources, this idea of doing the diversity and inclusion work, it seems to be a natural fit, right? Because as you said, we do impact the full employee's life cycle and their experiences here. And however, we also know, and Aaron and I have heard this from, from our multiple conversations, that not everybody sees diversity and inclusion work as, as a component of their job or even their offices. And it's not because of a lack of caring on their part. They genuinely don't see that as part of the role that they play here at the university. So what do, what do you suggest for, for individuals that think that way? You know, I, I really do promote in this space that we have conversations. You know, that's a starting point that we can all kind of, you know, learn from and ask curious questions to find out, you know, how can this work be impacted in my area? Mm-hmm. Or how can I make add some value from the perspective that I have? Um, and I think that's a question that everyone can ask, whatever type of work you do. You'd be amazed once you ask that question, you know, it, people will, will tell you yeah. and you can figure out how you can best address needs mm-hmm. um, through asking questions and starting with conversation. And that's that's kind of part of the journey that I had when I was at UC Davis before I joined Cornell. We started to have conversations that we weren't having before, quite frankly. Again, not because of lack of caring, but because of a sense that this wasn't the focus of what my job was. Mm-hmm. Once you start to have those conversations, yeah. you see all kinds of connections, mm-hmm. you know, and then you can grow from there. But it really does have to do with talking with employees and hearing their voice and their experience and finding out how can I impact things to make it better, to make a better workplace. I think that's very true. I think that it has to start with caring to ask (laughs) and then actually asking and listening to what the answers might be. And what you said, Christine, is very true, that not everybody is having the same experience or the same positive experience. And Cornell is no exception to that. I'm sure you've already been learning that over the years through all the various employee surveys that we do, whether it be um, workplace climate surveys, whether it be exit surveys where people leave, Whatever it may be, unfortunately, there's some common trends in what we're seeing, which is that people from historically marginalized backgrounds, whether we're talking about people with disabilities, people in the LGBTQ community, people of color, it doesn't matter. You know, inevitably, unfortunately, across the board, they are not 
reporting as high of a level of belonging, sense of belonging. They're not reporting having a positive of a workplace experience uh, at Cornell that we want them to have. It's leading to us losing some really good people, you know, to, which I know as chief human resources officer, <laughs> you know, you don't want. Um, and you don't want to hear that. You don't want to know that that's happening. I guess we, I'd love to hear more about your thoughts around that, uh, around what can we as employers, as people leaders, as colleagues, what can we do to change that tenor of, of our colleagues not having that same experience? Yeah, and I I think that's why it's so important to not only put out surveys and, you know, do exit surveys or do climate surveys or what have you. Um, It's also important to take action with the information once you have it. And that's one of the reasons why this is going to be such a focus for us in human resources is to actually put into place measures to try and address these different topics. So we're going out and having direct conversations all across the university to talk to people that lead different areas at the university and say, this is the experience that your employees are having and make some recommendations for how we can can address it. That's why I'm so grateful for, you know, your department and what you do and how impactful the work is that you do all across the university with such a a small team. And that's why you always find me to be a big supporter of you because you're helping to turn the tide. You're serving as that resource that people can use if they desire to do so. I would venture to guess that you don't ever turn anyone away. No, no. So they need only... Use your expertise um, if they want to find a way to better address employee concerns, and it's going to be an imperative that we do so. I'll tell you where I see, you know, a bit of a challenge that we have to face, and that is making sure that people are accountable. And this is where I find myself here, mm-hmm. you know, almost a year in, trying to figure out what's the next step. After we share with folks, after we say, this is how you can address it, if people decide not to take that on and address that, then from my standpoint, there needs to be a next step after that. Because what's the, I don't want to say incentive is not the right word here, but what what is the reason for anybody to actually do anything about it if there is no accountability? Right, right. Yeah, yeah. right. I would say, Christine, what you just said to me, it, it speaks to me because I think Aaron and I doing this work day in and day out, we completely understand in the component of not only just doing the surveys just for the sake of doing the surveys, but actually doing something with the data that we receive. The other part that I think is equally important that we don't always tend to address is the idea, the the communication piece of it, right? So I think that we do collect the data and there is work that's being done once we receive the data. But then I, I think what we don't do necessarily a great job of is connecting the dots after the fact for the individuals that actually gave us the information to say that we take your uh, anything that you've shared with us to heart and we actually do something with that information. So, you know, here's here's the, the information we received. And then here are all the action steps that are action items that we've taken to help address these needs and actually then communicate that with people. So they never, those dots are just never connected. So we do have a lot of employees that feel like, well, I share and I share and share and I don't know that anything's ever done. 
Right. And that is so very valid. That's the other part of it as well, is we will have posted on our website some of the follow-up actions that have been, you know, taken as a result of the surveys. That's wonderful. So that's the other piece of this is the transparency piece, both with the survey results as well as with the follow-up that's happening as a result. Now, sometimes there are actions that are taken that are intended to address certain things, Mm -hmm. but they're not successful. And should that be the case, that doesn't mean that's the end. Right. <laughs> that just means right. we need to recalibrate. <laughs> we right. need to do something different. Um, but I think even as part of that, I think it's important to have that kind of listening ear for the impacted communities Correct. that you are doing these efforts for mm-hmm. or to try and address their you know, kind of responses to surveys and the like. It's important to actually talk to the people that are being affected um, and hear their ideas about what they actually need in order to have that sense of of belonging. Um, So it it needs to take different tacks, you know. Yeah, I like that because, you know, I was recently asked when I was on a panel about uh, it it was something around the effect of, you know, diversity fatigue. That was the topic, diversity fatigue. But what it was what it was getting at is that when you are members of marginalized groups, you could get diversity fatigue yourself because it just feels like you're, you're constantly having to have the same conversations over and over. You're giving the same feedback and nothing changes and that sort of thing. And I think that what you're saying is really key because the fatigue doesn't come from doing the work to make it better. The fatigue comes from when you just feel like your wheels are spinning and you're just, you know, saying the same thing over and over. You're being asked the same questions. Questions and, and then leadership changes, and so now they're asking the same question because nobody bothered to capture the answers from the first time, you know, whatever it might be, right? But we have to start moving that, that cycle forward rather than just spinning in place because then that's when I do think people of different marginalized groups, they want to be part of the solution. We want to be part of the solution. That's not the problem, but it's when it just feels like we're not actually going anywhere or doing anything different, it, it gets fatiguing. Yeah, that is so true. And I know that that is one of the things that we had started to do at UC Davis before I left there. And that was to actually, you know, talk about successes when we had them. Mm. So when we're able to move the needle in terms of diversifying our workforce and particularly in our leadership roles, That's information we need to share Mm -hmm. so people don't feel like, you know, these efforts to diversify pools and whatever, if it has no effect, then why are we going through like this extra work and doing this extra outreach and all this only for nothing to change, you know? So um, it's important to track what you're doing, tracking what's successful, what's impactful, what's working and what's not um, so that everyone can see, you know, how it's benefiting the workforce. I'm just, you know, changing gears slightly and then we're going to come back to Cornell. But I know you talked a little bit about things that are happening in the world and how they impact not only each of us at an individual level, but our campus as a whole. Mm-hmm. Can you talk just from a generally speaking, what are some of the most pressing issues or concerns that you've heard about um, in higher ed that are, that are related to diversity, equity, inclusion? 
To be quite frank with you, it feels like diversity, equity, inclusion work is under attack in Mm -hmm. higher education. You know, it feels like in some settings, and fortunately we're not in one of those settings, at least I don't feel that, but in some settings, this very work is just not acceptable. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And that has an impact on people, you know. Um, The very livelihood of some folks is at risk. Mm -hmm for doing work that they were hired to do. Mm -hmm. And it's a cautionary tale for all of us because, yes, we're in a state, in a situation where currently we have support, right? right? So we're able to carry on with this work, but that's not the case everywhere. You know, I've got friends that are in Florida and Mm -hmm. they are anxious to figure out something else Mm -hmm. and are on constant high alert about how what they're doing might be perceived. And I would imagine that that would be very demoralizing Mm -hmm. um, when you're trying to do things to make a workplace that's welcoming for everyone. For everyone. To have this sort of be attacked just by the use of certain words. I mean, it's, it's pretty unreal. But this is the reality that exists right now. And... We have to find a way to make sure that we're supporting colleagues all across the country that are facing some of these challenges. It's an interesting time. It's such a polarized time. Mm -hmm. Um, And it sort of feels like human understanding and compassion is fading (laughs) right Mm -hmm. at the moment. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's kind of sad because one of the positives, if you're looking for them, that came out of the pandemic was there was a sense that people were a bit more compassionate and caring on a human level. And it feels like three years later that... (laughs) Yeah, it didn't take us long. (laughs) It's it's kind of in the past. So... You know, I, I sometimes wonder, um, there's many reasons why we, we are where we are at today, unfortunately, but, you know, it it really does. We've been talking about how these concepts of inclusion and belonging should not be these separate entities, right? That they, that they need to be just naturally embedded in all the work we do, and it's almost like that's all the more reason why it needs to be embedded, right? Because as you said, when it is as an entity sort of under attack right now, then to me, the best way to counter that attack is to even more be infusing it in, you know, just the everyday work without it looking like it's something, you know, that's obviously DEI, you know, but it's just part of of what we do. And it just, to me, that's the only way to counter that attack. Yeah, that's very true. And I know that you know, the people that are most successful at doing that are the people that have made it or the places where it's become part of everything. Because unless you're going to shut down the university altogether, right? Right. <laughs> you can't root it out if it's embedded. Correct. Exactly. Yeah. It's just, it's just who we are and, and the type of work we do. And I think Aaron and I have talked about that in almost every single episode we've had, that it should just be part of the approach that we have in how we address and look at everything. In this work, we, we do tend to look online with all the legislations that are that are happening right now, all the different states. I, I believe we're at about 22 states that have introduced some sort of 
uh, legislation against, you know, higher ed and DEI. Um, so it's kind of, like you said, it's striking of what we're experiencing three years later, right? So um, especially during the pandemic, we found different ways to communicate and connect with each other. We talked about things that we're baking and all what we're doing with our children now that they're at home and we're all at home and how are we kind of maneuvering that that work from home and, and school from home concept and all of those kinds of ideas. We found all kinds of ways to connect with each other and build relationships. And, and to your point, I feel like it's only been three years and yet somehow we're kind of now going in the complete opposite direction. Yeah, and I think a lot of it just comes from politics. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, yeah. if I'm being frank, it's <laughs> it's not really it, it's it's politics, and it's also lack of understanding. Mm-hmm. And to me, it feels willful. Like, <laughs> yeah, you know that you're really not talking about the same things, but you're just choosing buzzwords and Mm. hopping onto those is, you know, kind of used as a slogan or something. Mm -hmm. But the reality is this is not work that's going to hurt anyone. This is only, this work is only going to help our workforce and our workplace to be more welcoming for everyone. That's it. (laughs) Exactly. Not that big of a soundbite. It's not too controversial. (laughs) It really isn't. Exactly. So Christine, what do those things mean for you? When you think about inclusion and belonging, what, what does that feel like and look like for Christine Lovely? Yeah, for me, it feels like making friends. It feels like just learning more about one another and finding ways that we have things in common. And I truly believe that at the very center, we have much more in common than we are different. Mm-hmm. And, you know, just trying to make those connections for people. And make sure that you don't feel like you have to hide or be someone one different. And that's kind of one of the things that I learned in the pandemic, especially because there was no longer a work Christine and an at-home Christine. Right. <laughs> because I was working from home. Right. So I just... <laughs> you were just Christine. <laughs> I was just Christine. Um, and, you know, that's that's what an ideal state is for me is for people to be able to be themselves and feel like they can be without changing how they approach it because they're at work. And so that's what I hope for us to be able to encourage as an environment like that, you know, where, yeah, we're all different and we can appreciate those differences and enjoy those and learn more about one another and, you know, what our experiences are and all of that. So we're each different in our own ways. And, you know, my mom's an immigrant. My dad was, you know, raised in Jim Crow South. So very different backgrounds and experiences came together and, uh, you know, resulted in me. (laughs) So we know that there's people out there listening that are not having that, you know, are not finding that sense of belonging. Mm. Maybe they're not making friends. You know, maybe they are feeling like they have to hide parts of themselves at work. What advice do you have for them? Yeah, um, find your people. Mm -hmm. They are there. And that's what I love so much about our affinity groups that we have here is that that's a place where you can find community and you can, you know, kick off your shoes and kind of share common experiences and find support and 
friendship. So I think that that's one way that you can kind of create or ensure that you're having some welcomeness is through identifying that community that might not be readily apparent, but, um, you know, and we have a lot of resources available in human resources. This is my chance to make my plug about (laughs) um, some of the information we have out there. There's people trying to really trying to make an effort to ensure that people have what they need. And there's always a bit of work involved when you're in a new setting Mm -hmm. to kind of find your place. And I've experienced that myself in trying to figure this place out, even this town and, you know, where where I can go and kind of learn some of those ins and outs. Um, And you learn that by getting some people that you can trust and starting to ask them questions. And, you know, in time you can find your place if you want to. So, Christine, you know, what would you, what would you like to share with the individuals that feel like they don't have a space right in this conversation? So if they're not identified as a person of color or a person with disability, LGBT, any of those identity based, um, you know, that we typically classify as a diversity group, what, what would you like to share for those employees here Um, that don't feel like they have that space. One thing that I know to be true is that for most of us, even if people aren't the same as us, we welcome that difference in interacting with people that aren't necessarily of our same, you know, group, if you want to put yourself into a group. Um, So, I mean, I think there's ways to kind of get to know people that are outside of your you know, identifying group. And we are trying to create more opportunities for that through common interests and mm-hmm. all of that. So again, we're trying to set up these these groups on Viva Engage mm-hmm. where you can kind of find people that have common interests. So there's different things other than race, gender, right. identity, and all those types of things as categories to connect with people. And so we're trying to ensure that we have those ways of connecting through coworker coffee, something we'll be introducing where you can start to meet people, maybe that work in another area of the campus than you, because then you can find out who you have something in common with that maybe might not be someone in your community. So. Yeah, and and to your point, and Aaron said the same thing that I think we have more things in common than we probably realize. With you know, and and I think the idea is that, and we've talked about this throughout throughout this conversation is is the concept of creating a welcoming space for all, mm-hmm. where whatever identity you hold, whatever belief systems you hold, whatever you know, from a political perspective as well, because that's what makes Cornell unique. That's what makes it a great place to work is that there is a space for everyone. Mm-hmm. I think the other thing, just you know, having been here as long as I have, you're right that the resources are definitely there and they're plentiful. It can also be very hard to find them, though. Mm-hmm. And sometimes when you are not doing so well, <laughs> you know, and that's the time you're looking for them, right? When you're not always at your best. Yeah. And that's the time that you're looking for them. And it could be hard to find them, but they are there. And that that is just something I like to remind people of. And I think it's become even harder since the pandemic because we have become a more fluid workplace in terms of, you know, a lot more people being remote, hybrid, that sort of thing. Um, so it's, it, you have 
have to do a little looking and a little digging. And you're right, on our side of the house, we could be better at making it more transparent. But I would say to anybody out there, you know, you're tired, you're not feeling great, but don't stop looking. The resources are there. You just have to go looking for them. Yeah. Yeah. And any ideas about how to make it more apparent or easier to find than... I think we're open and receptive to how we can rearrange things and make yeah. it more accessible because it's, you know, it's useless if no one's using the resources that right, are available. Right, right. <laughs> exactly. Well, and I think that that's a good a good way that our affinity groups, our colleague networking groups can be helpful. You know, they, you know, people who have been through it would be a good people for us to be tapping into to be like, okay, how can we make it easier for the next person? You know, what were your struggles and how can we make yeah. it easier for the next, you know? Yeah. yeah, very true. Well, Christine, this has been such a pleasant conversation. As we think about sort of wrapping up, we'd love to hear from you. What is something in particular that you have really learned or appreciated? You can take it either direction. <laughs> something in particular you learned or appreciate about Cornell as you near the end of your first year with us. I have learned that we have some really great employees here, Mm -hmm. some really knowledgeable and qualified folks that are doing great work here. And for a chief human resources officer, that's a great thing to have. (laughs) Um, You know, so we have so many fantastic people all over the place. And I would like to see us highlight that more. Mm. I would like to see opportunities for people all over the university be profiled about their work and kind of learn a bit more. I think we have nearly every career imaginable available (laughs) here. Uh Um, And I don't think people are aware of it. (laughs) So I think we could do a good job, a better job of highlighting some of our workforce and maybe even you unique or different people that kind of keep their heads to the ground and and do their work but don't get necessarily profiled or highlighted. Um, I'd love to see us be able to do more of that and showcase more of of our workforce and who they are as people and the type of work they do and all of that. Again, it's creating an environment that's more inclusive by doing that. So I would love for us to be able to focus in more on our workforce. And it's a great message for the two of us that do this podcast. And so we, Aaron and I, will take that to heart, which we have, obviously, and we will continue to invite as many guests as possible to share their stories on this podcast. Wonderful. And thank you both for what you do and um, for creating this interesting forum. (laughs) And hopefully I haven't, you know, caused you to bomb. With this conversation, but I have enjoyed it, and our time together has flown for sure. It has. Thank you so much, Christine, and we are so looking forward to continuing to collaborate with you and you, too. Awesome. Well, Toil, I'm very happy with our choice to have Christine <laughs> as our season finale. I'm, I've always been a big fan of season finales, and yes. I, I think that we're ending the season with the pain. I agree. Um, and as well as a bit of a cliffhanger, because it'll be great to see what comes next year. Yes. You know, <laughs> and you too with Christine. 
well, first of all, it's just really neat to learn more about her. Yeah. Um, hearing her past, I mean, you know, we knew a little bit about her professional trajectory before Cornell, but I really did like hearing about the different directions her career took. Yeah. Um, right? And it was really neat to hear about how she started wanting to be a reporter. Yeah. Right? And then went into the legal field, then HR, and I really liked the overall message that, you don't always have to plan everything out. You can wait and see, you know, where the plan takes you and, and not be afraid to say yes to some different challenges because right. who knows where that'll take you. Yeah. And the other part about her message that, that I actually absolutely loved was this whole concept of trying it out. Right. Mm-hmm. Like because as you, when you are young and when you're little, you have all kinds of aspirations to take on these amazing roles. You know, fire. Be, I want to be a firefighter. I want to be a pilot. I want to be a doctor. I wanted to be a solid gold dancer. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> that um, was literally my first career aspiration right. at the age of five. Yes. yes. <laughs> uh, and then I wanted to be in Bollywood. Right. So there yep, you go. There you go. Um, and then, and then, you know, so this idea that maybe, you know, try it out somehow, whether you get a shadowing opportunity or an internship or you get uh, you know, a chance to follow somebody around to really see, do I really want to do that? Mm-hmm. What is involved in the day to day? Because what you hear about a lot of times is like some of the, the, the greatest things, but you don't get to hear the day to day grind mm-hmm. of what's involved. And I, and I love that message for all of our listeners who are, you know, young, young students or currently uh, students in college or universities, it may be an option to try. Well, and anybody at any stage of their career. Correct, right? yes. You know, I mean, we both have changed careers. We have. We, like, totally changed careers. And, you know, if you, it's never too late to do that, yep. you know? Yeah, I agree with you that there's so many amazing, I think, uh, tidbits in, in our conversation with her today, and I can just keep talking about uh, all the things that really resonated with me. Um, the one thing that I, I liked about when she was talking about herself, I love the fact that she says she's not here to fill anybody else's shoes yeah. and that she's here to be her own person. And yes. I, I think what a great message, right? Because yes. a lot of us come into a role or a job sometimes filling yeah. other uh, jobs that other people have held. And, and the idea and the message to each of us is that you don't have to be just like the person that held the role before That's you right. um, and maybe be your own person right mm-hmm. and and bring your strength and your skill set to the job and you know what? And I, the really focusing on, yeah, that's why you were hired. Yeah, <laughs> right? exactly. Right? Um, but we sometimes lose that message yeah. when, we're, when we're going through that transition into the new role. The other thing that she brought up that um, we could have probably dived into more, but I, which is why I want to bring it up now, because I think it was a very good point when you think about what keeps people here, what keeps people feeling a sense of inclusion and belonging. She talked about how employees can enjoy the work but not the setting. And I think that that, I never heard it phrased that way. You know, all these conversations we've had um, about workplace inclusion and belonging, but that actually really hits the nail on the head. You know, and we do know that. We know a lot of people that have left the role not because they didn't like the work, right. but because it just, just did not end up being a supportive setting, which is a shame. Yes. <laughs> that's that's really, I mean, that really tells you what needs to be focused on. You know, it's not the person, it's not their ability to do the work, it's the environment that we that we have created for them that is not conducive to them being able to be who they are. And that's where we need to focus our energy. Correct. And I think, and, and the idea that we all have a role to play in that, right? Not, it doesn't just, the environment that's created for um, our colleagues doesn't come only from from our supervisors mm-hmm. and our people leaders. It also comes from our, our, our co-workers as mm-hmm. well, right? And mm-hmm. um, those that we interact with on a regular basis. And so the idea that we all have a role to play
play in the environment that we create. Mm-hmm. And um, she said something, you know, a simple way to start that is just having conversations, yeah. right? And finding a way to connect with each other. I thought that was a, a great point. And and you also mentioned that that kind of leads you towards finding like the humanity um, and, and the humanness in each other, because we ultimately do have more things in common than we do differences. And that conversations and getting to know each other allow us to focus on those kinds mm-hmm. of things. Yeah, exactly. I agree. And and of course, I always love when a leader recognizes the importance of not just looking at what people are telling you, but actually doing something with that information. Right. <laughs> you know? And that was a big theme, too, that I so appreciated hearing from her. That, yeah, we've had all this survey data for years. What are we doing with it? Right. You know, not that we don't want to keep asking people, but at some point you have to do something with that information right. and move forward. And very happy to hear that that's a priority of hers. Yeah. And then I think the last part that really like stood out to me in our conversation was that she wasn't shy of uh, about um, really addressing what's impacting our world right now, mm-hmm. right? In terms of some of the DEI legislations, as we mentioned, there are 22 states that currently have legislation out um, related to DEI and higher ed alone. That's it, right? And so just higher ed DEI offices, 22 states have legislations, Mm -hmm. right? I'm glad that she didn't shy away from addressing what could be impacting this work too, right? And and so I think that's important to talk about. This is all the more reason that we have to be having an inclusive approach to what we do because right. you can't cut out, like right. she said, you can't close a whole university. Right. You know, even if you, even if you close an office, if everybody's doing this as a natural part of the job, then it doesn't go away. It, it's still very much part of it. I mean, I've worked in higher ed for how many years before I ended up in this office and I wasn't not doing this right. <laughs> in all my other roles, right? I was doing it in some way. So, but it does up the ante, <laughs> knowing that you have legislation and you know that type of stuff. It does up the ante and challenge us to to even more be embedding this into our work. And as you said, you know, looking forward to some some amazing things that Christine's going to do uh, with all of us in yes. partnership um, in her year number two. Year number two, looking forward to it. It's been a great year. Yeah. been a great season. I couldn't be happier with, um, you know, enjoying my first season as co-host. Uh, thank you, Twirl. Thank you, Boot. And um, I am looking forward to us kicking off next year already and thinking about what, what our theme's going to be. And as Christine said, getting more individuals an opportunity to, to show who they are and what their experiences are. This is a great platform to do that. In, and I'm looking forward to doing more storytelling next year. Yes, I, I think, uh, Aaron, thank you for all the work that you've done this year. It's been a fabulous year. Bert, thank you. And, of course, Grace, thank you for all of your amazing editing skills and, and helping us get this podcast out. So thank you. And thank you, finally, to all of our listeners. Couldn't do it without you. Keep listening. Thank you all for listening. This podcast is a production of the Department of Inclusion and Belonging in collaboration with the Cornell Broadcast Studio. Be sure to subscribe to us wherever you listen to podcasts and rate and submit a review on Apple Podcasts. It helps new listeners find us and the show. For latest updates on diversity, equity, inclusion, and belonging at Cornell, be sure to visit diversity.cornell.edu. My name is Toral Patel. And my name is Erin Sambushis. We would also like to thank our co-producer and sound engineer, Bert Odom-Reed, as always, for making us sound amazing each and every episode. Thanks, Bert!